Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. You'll also find our archives where you can listen to every episode we've ever done going back to 2006. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is August 1st, 2013, and my guest is Nassim Taleb. His books include Fooled by Randomness, The Black Swan, and Anti-Fragile, and we've done podcasts talking about those before. Our topic for for today is Skin in the Game. And as a jumping-off point, we're going to use a recent paper Nassim has written with Konstantin Sandus titled Skin in the, Game Heur- the Skin in the Game Heuristic for Protection Against Tail Events. Nassim, welcome back to EconTalk. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. This is uh, becoming a – I mean, I'm, I'm a habit. I'm never, ever invited <laughs> by, by the same person twice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that says as much about me as it does about you, Nassim. But here we go. Definitely, um, yes. What, let's start with this – uh, this expression, which is uh, familiar to some in America, but maybe not to non-native English speakers and to some even English speakers. What do you mean by skin in the game? Uh, we mean, I mean that I cannot uh, skin in the game. I cannot take risks uh, entailing, you know, like may harm others without being subjected to them myself. That's all, what I meant by skin in the game. In other words, that you cannot possibly uh, make a bet on entailing a random variable that can harm others without you yourself being somewhat harmed. It doesn't have to be as harmed. You need to incur some personal harm enough to be deterrent. Now, uh, this is quite potent because it is probably the earliest idea that ever, okay, disseminated in society. It's the first idea probably. It's definitely behind the first document. I mean, the oldest document we have, Hammurabi's Code. So it is, uh, it is very potent, and, and in it, and I'll explain in a few minutes, we, there's, there's so many things. Um, I mean, it allowed society to function for uh, several thousand years, okay? Uh, particularly, I mean, maybe not between societies, but within societies. But uh, unfortunately, uh, it's gone today from, from consciousness uh, because of modernity and, and all these fancy ideas. How does it show up in the Hammurabi's Code? Okay, so... Uh, and Hammurabi, the the uh, it's basically, it's, it's Hammurabi is probably not the oldest mention, but it's the oldest one extant. So um, it says the following: the if, you, if the say the architect or the engineer depends, I can't translate Babylonian, all right? Um, if he builds a house and the house collapses and kills the owner of the house, the architect shall be put to death. Now, and it also continues that if it kills the firstborn son of the owner, the firstborn son of the architect should be put to death. Now, the point is that the Babylonians visibly didn't have much against architects. They liked architects. They have, of course, their suspended gardens. But the, the, the thing is that they wanted it as a deterrent. They wanted the idea as a deterrent. And behind it lies this very powerful idea, is that the architect can hide tail risks. <laughs> You see delayed blow-ups because the, the cheapest, you know, the, the, the place where you can hide the risk is by cutting corner in the foundation. And, of course, he's not going to be there when a thing collapses. 
and 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 uh, the, the Babylonians detected it. It's of course they understood that no inspector, no regulation will ever, ever, ever outperform that uh, simple rule. And behind that rule, of course, uh, Constantine and I went back to some, uh, uh, you know, archaeology, uh, some cultural archaeology, stuff to dig, and we found that that rule was directly behind the Lex Talonis, n- namely, you know, the eye for eye. That, of course, uh, uh, the Semites uh, spread an eye for eye, a tooth for tooth. In Exodus, we see it, and of course, they have love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus, and of course, it kept going. Uh, the, the silver rule by uh, Hillel and uh, Rabbi Hillel, the one that we, uh, you know, he was asked to explain the Torah standing on one leg, he said, uh, "Don't do, uh, uh, don't do to others what you don't would not have them do unto you." And the rest is commentary. That was, uh, and Isocrates at about the same time came up with his own version of golden rule, but with a difference, and, and that's neglected because it's, it's almost never mentioned that he applied it to states. And he said, a state should not do to other states, weaker states, a strong state should not, should not do to weaker states what he wouldn't want a stronger state to do to it, you see. And, uh, who applied and of it? Course, who applied it to states? Sorry? Who applied it to states? Uh, Isocrates. Oh, Isocrates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Isocrates. I say, so yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, yeah, like I know Isocrates, but I, I remember it from your paper. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, Isocrates. I mean, he, he, we're talking five, fifth century already, right? And, of course, we have the golden rule that we see in the New Testament, which is a positive. You know, the, 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 up until then, it was a negative rule. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And then the golden rule, of course, do to others. Uh, so we had a silver rule till then, and then do to others what you want them to do to you, and so on. So here's what we see behind this is the foundation of moral philosophy, the foundation of ethics, and foundation of civil society. But in it, we saw something much more potent. We saw the foundation of risk management. <laughs> you see, it, it is, it, this is why you cannot disentangle risk management from ethics, just as you cannot disentangle uh, you, know, uh, you know, economics from moral philosophy. Some people try it, they can't. So, so this is our paper, and of course we put some probability theory, and I'll talk about it, in, I'm sure, a little bit later, that how tail risks are impossible to figure out I'm go unless back. you're the one causing them. Yeah, I want to go back to Hammurabi and the, and the builder or the architect. And before we do, I just want to mention, because it's just a pet peeve of mine, that in... Uh, in the book of Exodus, was when it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, in its application in Jewish law as elaborated in the Talmud, it substitutes the physical eye for the economic value of the eye. So if, if you have an – by an accident, you poke out somebody's eye, uh, a Jewish court would not poke your eye out. They would force you to pay damages equal to the loss of an eye in a fairly sophisticated way of how that might uh, be measured and is, is elaborated in the Talmud. But I just want to mention that. That uh, the that the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth in Exodus was not implemented in Jewish law by the literal uh, description of the text, but I want to go back to the builder because yeah, yeah. Sorry, one, th- one, one, one thing here I just mentioned earlier. I said about the same time, Isocrates and Hillel. It was not the same time. I mean, there's still several centuries separating them. Correct. Uh, between Isocrates and and Hillel, that just uh, just came. You know, just realized. Uh, yeah, and they they probably didn't. They, 
they probably didn't know a lot about each other's work. Hillo came after Socrates. He probably well, he may have known him. I don't know. Um, uh, no, but there was there was a strain. What people call that great transformation when uh, when when the thing started spreading, and and then finally, of course, when you look at Kant. The modern culmination of this idea is in Kant. Kant, of course, is act only in accordance with that maxim through which you can, at the same time, will, um, uh, you know, uh, make it a universal law. You see? So, yeah, when you decide, it, what would the world be like if everybody behaved as you did? It, 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 exactly. This is a universal law. So it's more generalization of all these laws culminating in Kant, and we're still stuck in Kant. And it's, it's, it's the categorical imperative, and I, I, it's, I see that, by the way, as a way to get people to morally overcome the free riding problem, the idea that you can get away with something, which you often can. But it, what Kant is telling you is that that's – even though it might be rational in some narrow sense, even though it might be in your self-interest, it's immoral often to act that way. And Kant is a way of reminding you of that. And uh, just as a side note, um, Adam Smith's concept – Adam Smith's concept of the impartial spectator is another way uh, to think about some of these moral rules. Uh, Smith wanted you to think about your behavior as if someone were watching you. He says that's the way we actually do behave. It's a positive theory. It's not so much a normative theory. He says it has normative elements. But he's trying to describe the way the world works. He says we act as if someone were watching us. We, we look at – we step outside ourselves and put ourselves in the shoes of an impartial spectator. And there's an interesting – question of whether that influenced Kant or not. They were contemporaries, unlike Socrates and Hillel. But um, I'll, I'll put a link up to a paper on that uh, uh, as well. Anyway, so I want to go back to the builder though. Yeah. So the, the builder, uh, explain um, explain why the, the incentives for the builder are so uh, powerful and how they relate. What are we trying to avoid? And basically, you're, you're talking about opacity, that is non-transparency. And information asymmetry. These are two ideas. I think they're important to generalize. Exactly, but there's a third one. There's a third one involved here, which which is what is behind our paper. Because our, our paper doesn't bring anything new except for one concept behind it. Okay, and th that's as follows. I mean, I spent all my life dealing with tail events, and is that there's a very simple property to probability distributions that generate tail events, particularly when they're asymmetric. And and you know, you make a penny, you make a penny, you make a penny, and then you lose dollars. So, the, the, and the property is very, very simple. As I mentioned in, in, a, in the mathematical part of the paper, I say if you, if you have a process such as a Pareto 80-20, you know that 80-20 that people talk about? Okay. No, no, what do you mean? Explain. 80-20 means 80% of the, the company generates 20% of the profits and 20% of the company generates 80% of the profits. Or 80% of your Not inventory that. accounts for 20% of your – 20% of your inventory accounts for 80% of your sales. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So if you look at something that 20% of the days generate 80% of returns and stuff like that, okay, which is what we effectively observe in, in many domains. Well, the, the, the point is that in any given uh, uh, year, you will be 90% of – have 90% of the observation above the true mean. <laughs> You see, that, that's what it's because it's asymmetric. Because it's not because when it's asymmetric, people, you don't observe the mean. You, you typically observe the, the you know you observe profits, 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 and and in fact the mean can be negative. Take the banks for example. Uh, the banks, uh, you know, someone was boasting that uh, 
they had the whole quarter without losing money on a single day. It's totally irrelevant. Banks lost $4.7 trillion during the crisis. So if you make small gains and large losses, you see, you cannot observe the statistical properties from a a small sample. You have small sample effects. And and I've done uh, uh, something. What we're talking about is an anti-fragile Okay, this ethical uh, rule is an anti-fragile. It's behind, you know, it's what I call fragility of society or someone who trades anti-fragility at the expense of someone else. That's where someone has an option against someone else. But the ideas that I've been working on now are the ideas of a black swan, trying to mathematize it. And I showed the following thing. The most misunderstood thing in society is a law of large numbers. You take, uh, you know, observation and you think you can figure out the mean just from observing what's going on. In reality, it's not that way. Most distributions have the law slow, slow numbers, if you want to say. In other words, the mean doesn't reveal itself very easily. So people put themselves in a situation where uh, the, the frequency of profits is very high. So I manage money for someone, say, uh, you know, for, for uh, a fund, for whatever it is. If I don't have skin in the game, my optimal strategy is to uh, shoot for small, steady gains and uh, rare losses. Yeah, this is so, picking, and, this is picking up nickels in front of the bulldozer. So you're just most exactly. of the time, bulldozer is moving slowly. There's plenty of time to pick up the nickels. You look like you're really smart because you've got all these nickels, and then one day you get run over. But exactly. you say, well, that so, was so if, you say that was a bad day. It was just bad luck. I didn't, as you point out in the paper, you say things like. I, uh, based on the information, I, I did the right thing. Exactly. And, and there's a, that property of law of large numbers or something like that is, is quite shocking. Because if you look at fat tails, and, and that's what, what my, as I said, my, my new work is about. If you look at fat tails, in a fat tailed series, eventually the maximum you will have will be equal to the mean, <laughs> to the totals. Explain. So in other words, let me explain. If you have an option trader or someone involved in a fat-tailed uh, game, all right, say you have, uh, uh, you know, you, you trade for 10,000 days, your maximum, your, your extremum will correspond to the total. So in other words, everything will be dominated by single observation. Right. So, the, this so, is what, what, what so is, basically, in that case, the case we're talking about of the, the nickels in front of the bulldozer, the outcome is you're wiped out. You're your gonna, outcome is a bulldozer is not the nickels. <laughs> That's right. Basically the nickels it. are irrelevant. So, irrelevant. In other words, you don't observe. So, so in, in a process uh, that we observe commonly, as I said, uh, 90% of the observation will be below the means, which means that, that nine years out of 10 will not reveal the mean. So you have at least nine years of profits ahead of you. So what happens is you catch a bonus year one, bonus year two, bonus year three, bonus year nine, and then year you're ten when you too. lose all the money. And you're, a genius. you're a genius. You have a great and you're reputation. A genius, of course. Of course. And I said the, the thing is if you make money four years in a row in New York, people start saying hello to you, you see. They eventually laugh at your jokes, you see. <laughs> so very so you make money for nine years. Exactly. So you make money nine years, and then the tenth year, everything is gone. And you claim what is adverse event, everybody lost money, it's a difficult year, whatever it is. Uh, like the, the banks in 1982, you know, Walter Riston from Citibank said, oh, it's only one bad quarter. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, the one bad quarter. They wiped out everything made in history of Citibank. <laughs> you well, see? I thought of but, you, Nisim, I thought yeah. of you last night. I had a, a friend, over, we had a friend over for dinner 
and she was talking about how scary the roller coaster is at uh, at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk. It's very rickety, and it's built, I think, in 1924. And I'm. This example has nothing to do with the actual Santa Cruz roller coaster because for all I know, it's beautifully maintained and it's extremely safe. But when she pointed out that there hadn't been an accident in maybe the whole life of the roller coaster, I naturally thought of you because, you know, you could have 365 days a year for 90 years with no accidents and it's obviously very safe. And then one day, it's possible for 150 people to be killed and you say, well, but Look how good my safety record is. It's 99.99 out of 100. But that one yeah, day so is, is devastating. That's true. But, but still, I mean, even that, that's mild because there's no uh, – you don't have as big a, a, a problem well, as you, don't you do kill, have in modern society. Well, that's because you don't kill all the people who wrote it on it on exactly. all the other days. That exactly. would be the analogy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the analogy <laughs> is it kills back everyone who died, uh, whoever wrote on it. Yeah. That was – exactly. That is, that is what – this is the, the, this eventually would be a fat-tailed process. Uh, so, so if you if you if you take uh, now what was was happening today in modern society is you have invisibility of the risks. So someone uh, you know is shooting, of course, for a high probability, uh, low impact uh, benefits and uh, low probability, high impact uh, you know uh, losses. If he doesn't bear the losses. That's the optimal strategy. Plus, think about the, the metaphor I was given earlier. As you're given money to manage, you're going to make money nine years out of a row. If you make money for two or three years, you're going to get a lot more capital. So you're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you blow up. So when you blow up, you'll be at your maximum. But that's when you have no skin in the game. And is your, your, point, is exactly. that, your point is that if you, all of your money is in that fund, that picking up nickel strategy is not going to be your natural incentive. Exactly. Your, your incentive will be very different, and you won't really care about perception. You care about your own money. So what happens is that uh, you won't have, hear uh, people saying, oh, look, you know, he's losing money or he's making money. You don't really care. It's your money in it. So your reputation doesn't matter. So you don't game. The reputations are very easy to game. You just shoot for a high probability, low impact event. So what you, um, what, 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 what you should require is if you invest with someone, you should tell them, listen, if... I, you lose money. I want you to be harmed a lot more than me. And and of course, uh, his, his, his reputation should be you know harmed in reputation, but also should harm financially because so reputation is not enough of a deterrent. I'm going to raise a problem now with with with, with yes. that claim, and I and I and it goes back to the builder claim as well. You can have too much skin in the game, and you don't seem. I don't think you deal with this in the paper, and it seems like a, an issue you should deal with. Let's start with the builder case because it's so easy to understand. If I'm going to execute a builder every time that he uh, ha builds a house that, that collapses and kills someone, there are going to be a lot of costs to being a builder. And it, if it's possible, and it is, that sometimes houses collapse that aren't the fault of the builder, that they're just bad luck. There's random events and there's a continuum on which we would judge irresponsibility. There's a continuum on which we would judge safety. So if we say to the builder, you have to build the house uh, safe enough so that if someone dies, uh, you'll be killed. So you're going to then build a very, very safe house. It could be that house is so expensive. I would really rather take a little more risk than that. Or if I have a builder who has a different standard than I do of the value of life. And similarly – 
If you I mean, tell there's me, there's got to be some equilibrium. There's got to be some equilibrium. Yeah, if it's, you it's, tell uh, me, the, the people pe- people will ask the builders to cut corners, otherwise they can't afford the house, and correct. then you end up eventually with the right kind, uh, with the, the right balance. So if I say, but, to I you, mean, we're not, but we're not again. We're not Hamlin and Hammurabi's days. So as I said at the very beginning, skin in a game doesn't mean matching the exposure of others. Okay, in other words, you don't need to kill the uh, uh, owner of the airline company every time there's a plane crash. But on the other hand, there has to be a painful disincentive beyond beyond the cosmetic. You see, this, this, is, this is what we're talking about. So there has to be some. I mean, look at capitalism. Capitalism uh, has a built-in asymmetry in, in the sense that bankruptcy is is a, is a zero in it. There's no negative. You see, for a company, and and but you still can have skin in the game by forcing people to lose a little bit of money. It doesn't have to be unlimited. So you have unlimited profits and limited losses but still maintain a skin in the game. I think we are reaching that equilibrium in economic life uh, outside of, of course, government intervention, banking, and bailouts. You have that equilibrium. In other words, the builder isn't put to death. There are financial penalties. When you go to a doctor, if a doctor amputates someone, amputates the wrong leg, you don't take the doctor and amputate his, his, <laughs> his leg in return, you see? But, but you, you just, there is a penalty, you see? So... We're not worried about places in which these, uh, this equilibrium has been discovered heuristically bottom-up. I'm worried about modernity. I'm worried about bureaucrats uh, causing hyperinflation, uh, affecting uh, uh, savers and, 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 and outright citizens, but not harming them at all. I'm worried about uh, that kind of stuff. You see, we're not worried about uh, contracts between individuals that can find their equilibrium in some way or another. So we've been mixing together a couple things here, and I want to pull them apart a little bit. Uh, skin in the game, it has positive impacts, meaning in the technical sense of economics, meaning it it, it has natural incentives uh, for for the, for the people making decisions on on the behalf of others. What you're pushing in this paper, among other things, pushing a lot of things, but one of the things you're pushing is that it's a moral concept that I should that it is immoral to make decisions without skin in the game, that I should insist on having skin in the game. So there's sort of three levels here. One is regulation should ideally put skin in the game rather than take it away, and it often uh, takes one, it away. No, no, let me, let, me, let me say one thing about regulation, and hopefully we'll talk about it. The skin in the game to me is a heuristic. The heuristic can be enforced between two individuals engaging in a contact, in, in a contract, okay? Regulation requires a state. This is the main difference here. You see, is that we're bypassing the state. It's in the contract. I can eat your food if you taste it in front of me. You see, that is a skin in the game heuristic enforced between two individuals without having recourse to the state. You see? But you're saying something more than that. You're saying that, yeah. if, that if I'm the cook, even if my customers don't insist that I eat my own food, I should eat my own food. That's exactly. So, so here we have the, the first level of the contract between individuals. Forget regulation and state. The second level is uh, is the moral concept. Is I should not make a forecast unless I'm harmed by it. Like people ask me on television or something every time. This is why if I don't it's incorrect. But if it's incorrect. It, if it's incorrect, I should be harmed by it, right? If it's correct, so so if I make a forecast, if someone asks me my for my opinion, it is immoral for me to say, well, the market is going up or the market is going down or this will happen, unless I stand to lose from that advice because people take risks based on other people's advice, you see? 
this is where it's immoral. This is why skin in the game is very generalized to daily life. I cannot tell you, well, this is good unless I've tasted it. Of course, if there's a risk, if there's no harm, then who cares? See, right. so, we, so here we, we saw understand. two levels. Yeah. We all understand it's immoral to review a book you haven't read. Uh, completely. Right. And that's, Absolutely. And yeah. so to make a prediction about an event that you have no stake in is, is, has a similar immorality to it. Uh, there, it depends on how much harm you can cause, you see. So this is how – I'm saying in a risk domain. I'm, we're saying we're confining it to moral philosophy in the negative tail domain, you see. Yes. So if I predict – if I lie to you and predict that tomorrow, I tell you tomorrow is going to be sunny, it's just because, you know, it may uplift your moods or something like that. We're not in a Kantian domain. We're, we're – uh, we're, uh, you know, it's okay because I'm lying to you. I have, and I'm not going to be here to enjoy, you know, the sun or something. But I'm, I'm, I think that I'm making calculated uh, things that make you feel better. So, so because there's no harm. If there's no harm, uh, you know, I'm, I, that's not my space. You see? Yeah, I understand. So, so, so we saw two levels. As we saw, the first, the contract with an individual. Two, the contract with yourself, which is a moral domain, or yourself or with humanity, which is a moral domain. And it, it seems to me – go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So it seems to me – so skin in the game emerges naturally in the dealings between two people. Um, and it seems to me that what – and it should emerge. You're suggesting morally. If it, if it doesn't emerge through the choices of the interacting individuals, it, we should be eager to impose it on ourselves as a moral uh, heuristic, a moral code. But it seems to me that one of the challenges of, of politics, political life, public policy is that what government's really good at is getting rid of skin in the game. That's kind of their specialty. It's not, not all governments. I mean, let's look at it. What you and I tend to call governments, and because we have the same political colors, is a centralized government. A government can be a local, you know, neighborhood, you know, union. True. See? So, so if, if you're and, – and, and then what I figured out from the history of, of countries that have been very successful like Switzerland or Sweden, places like that, is that people making the decisions are usually embedded in a community. And their skin in a game is typically shame because they're socialized by the community. Their skin in a game is shame. Whereas a government official in Washington can make a mistake – and it's a spreadsheet looking at him. It's not someone at church on Sunday looking at him and making him feel shame. And that's where there's <laughs> that's where the main difference is. You could argue, though, that it there's an offsetting effect at the national level, which is history, right? Ben Bernanke is going to. It's true that I don't spend a lot of time with him in um, in church or synagogue, but his name will go down in history to some extent for his decisions. Now, the real problem for me is that, as you point out, a lot of times there's opacity. It's opaque. People tell me, well, he did such a great job. You can't even evaluate it. We don't have the data to evaluate whether he's done a good job. So the shame part of, of, a, of a blemished historical legacy is, is very limited in economic policy actions. Exactly. What well, is very simple. The law of large numbers works much faster at the micro level than at the, uh, the macro level. At a macro level, you need thousands of years to figure out to someone uh, a, a repeat experiment. If someone did the right decision at the micro level. You know, we have thousands of experiments all every day. You see, so it's very different. And 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 this is probably the big distinction. And municipality is a micro concept. 
whereas a uh, Washington is a macro concept. So, so my whole idea of, of in fragility and anti-fragility it was was to build a system where mistakes can occur, but do not threaten the system. So let me go back to the the point about government. It's true at the local local level. There's there's some natural incentives. But at the, at the national level, say in the United States, a lot of what government does is to remove skin in the game, bailouts, insurance policies, do-overs, uh, ad hoc interventions. Is there any hope that public policy might take your idea and think of it as a way to guide regulation? Um, I think that the only hope is to rely less on public policy <laughs> because the systems, when they're localized, uh, tend to enforce skin in the game very naturally. You see, you look at, uh, you look at uh, for example, a system where they're small, you can identify uh, cause and effect very easily, and then you can force the cook to eat his own cooking. And, and you see it in, 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 uh, in small communities, like in the army, for example. Uh, in, in almost every country I looked at, um, people who repair helicopters are sort of forced to take rides on them. <laughs> and, and people who, in, in almost every... Um, uh, everything entailing parachutes uh, jumping, right, uh, has has that kind of skin in the game involved. Where where if you fall someone's parachute, you may randomly be asked to jump in it, uh, jump using it, or something like this. So so you have this. Uh, so there's a natural uh, tendency by systems when they're small to produce skin in the game rule and function properly that way. But at, but the thing it looks like at the things get large. So it's a size effect. Large is ugly, you see, and large doesn't have skin in the game. And large has these warped incentives. And, and large, of course, uh, likes regulation rather than, than these simple heuristics. And as, as a libertarian, I like the government to be the last resource. It doesn't mean no government at all. It could be minimum, but whatever is last, not the first. So when I think of things that should be less of government, uh, you know, these things are uh, related to, of course, law enforcement and, and things that we have either market failures or uh, systemic inability to protect the individual against the largest threat. And, uh, and there, uh, you know, maybe you may need regulation. Like, for example, I'm very concerned about uh, uh, genetically modified food because the person <laughs> producing them uh, may threaten my backyard. You see, so I want protection, and I can't really protect my backyard because I can't fence it against, uh, you know, the, 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 the changes in ecology that can happen from it. So maybe the regulation is something to consider in these exceptional cases. But uh, sort of exactly like medicine, emergency room surgery is completely different from uh, cosmetic surgery. Agreed. But my point only is that if if government uh, stopped bailing out banks, there would be a natural skin in the game. And we seem to find it difficult to uh, avoid – there's no we here. The politicians find it difficult. Yeah. I don't. The idea of it doesn't bother me. But the, somehow the politicians can't seem to um, bear to let these people have skin in the game. Yeah, that's true. This is where, where we have a uh, problem with metastatic government. Is that the larger and more convoluted government is, the more they dislike skin in the game, and the more you have inverse skin in the game. Is that people who have everything to benefit from causing you harm, uh, namely, namely through the lobbyists. Yeah. 
I want to go back to the philosophy, to the moral principles you talked about. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the um, the role of asymmetry and the negative asymmetry? Because I want to talk about positive asymmetry as you do at the end. So talk about what skin in the game has in common with an eye for an eye, with the silver rule, the golden rule, etc. Um, I mean, what it has in common is, is establishing symmetry. The way I approached it in anti-fragile, and, and it's, it's people are starting to get there uh, nine months after this publication, because it's page 600 <laughs> that I start talking about skin in the game, is the way I looked at it is in terms of fragility. If I have more upside than downside, namely a positive asymmetry, I, I tend to benefit in the long run from random event. I am what's called anti-fragile. So I benefit more than I lose. Now, if I have more downside than upside, then I am fragile. And, and, and it's very strange uh, how the thing that, you know, this is one of the wonders of science, uh, is, is that this asymmetry, uh, you know, uh, of course, is, is what everything that's fragile on Earth shares. And, and it also it comes from disliking uh, random events, uh, disliking volatility, disliking stressors, disliking things. They all, it's the same equation that explains them all. <laughs> and it's the equation that we use in option trading when you're short volatility. So basically, people are short an option or long an option. So the problem is the class of people who are long an option, namely bankers, if there's volatility, they're either break even or make money. They're not harmed. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, society is short an option. Basically, if the bankers make money, we don't get anything. If they lose money, we end up paying for it uh, via uh, taxes, more regulation, uh, more burden of having uh, people to understand 2,500 pages of codes and stuff like that. So, 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 so this is where the asymmetry is very, very similar to short-term option. And, 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 of course, people not understanding option, at the core, there is this misunderstanding of the number uh, that, that when you have an option, because everybody is still, economics is still in uh, 20, not even 20th, 19th century statistics, where people don't really understand probability distribution, and they, they, they think that you can figure out performance from a short period of time, and, and, uh, and that, uh, you know, distribution are sort of symmetric, that kind of stuff. So there's a mismatch between compensation period, however you want, whatever you want to call compensation, and the time it takes, because of large numbers, for, the, for, for the, the variable to show its properties. Yes. So, so, so this, is, this, is, uh, uh, this is a big problem, is that you have an asymmetry and it's undetected. The undetected part is what we're insting, insisting on. Uh, when, when we looked at the, the paper, we realized that, well, economists understand the agency problem, they understand moral hazard, but they don't understand moral hazard, okay, with respect to fat tails, because they never really gave too much thinking to fat tails, other than saying, well, it's a peso problem, and we can't talk about it because we don't understand it. Thanks, bye. All right? Whether instead of saying, well, this is a central part of life, the, the, what they call the outlier, and then let's deal with it as a central component of life, and if we don't deal with it, it's so large an effect that it's going to end up eating us. So this is sort of like the, the, the background. So when I say, you know, that there's option and optionality, it's quite general. You can look at any individual and say, well, this guy is long optionality at the expense of others, or this guy is short optionality being used by others. 
Explain that last case. Uh, that would be the, the taxpayer. Case, That's the taxpayer. The, ta- the taxpayer or, or sometimes the investor. You invest in a company, okay, the, the, if, if the, 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 some, a lot of the returns are going to go to the industry, are going to go to Wall Street. Because if the fund manager makes money, it's his money. And if he loses money, you pay for the losses. So and, and so you get smaller share of profits than you do of losses. So in the long run, you're going to lose money. And this is effectively what people didn't realize about hedge funds, is that they think hedge funds are the best thing after sliced bread. Some are very good. But in general, hedge funds have a high level of fees and a lot more optionality to the hedge fund manager. But, but it has been corrected, uh, thankfully, by people forcing hedge fund managers to have a lot of their money in their funds. But you also talk about positive asymmetry where people assume risks for others to help altruistically to help them in society, not just – not so much in the financial sector but elsewhere, right? Anywhere. In, in, in a lot of places, people are voluntarily uh, – take risk for the sake of others. And, and this is what, uh, what, what uh, economists uh, are fully equipped to understand. And, 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 and honor, you know, for you – know, when you take the notion of honor, honor is someone who has courage, uh, someone, a person, he or she has a lot of courage and is using that to save others or help others. So it, it, if, you, if you realize that people when, – when you see Solon's uh, statement that you're only happy if you have a glorious death – and, uh, and you see the, the you know, there's, that was a mentality. That's throughout uh, uh, the, the ancient world that you're as good as the risks you're taking for the sake of uh, others, uh, city, anything, or, or even yourself. So in other words, you're not transferring risk to others. You're the one who is taking the risks. And of course, the, the two most uh, famous figures of, uh, of today, all right, are, are people who died for their ideas, not just you know, to fight for others, but Socrates. And uh, and uh, a few uh, hundred miles to the southeast, uh, another fellow who you know died for, uh, for, for you know uh, uh, was crucified. So so when you think about it, uh, uh, prestige that we have gotten is was has has almost always been proportional to the risks you take for the sake of others. So you have heroes in war and stuff like that. That's the notion of hero. And of course, the lords in medieval England and medieval uh, Europe were people who were forced to protect the peasants. And, and they had a high rank, but it came with obligations. You took more risk, you were the first person to die. And, of course, Hannibal was first in battle. Uh, same with Julius Caesar, same with all the big warriors, with almost no exception. Now, let's talk about our generation. Who do you have? Uh, George W. Bush, right? He uh, escaped the uh, war, although his father... Up to that generation, uh, they were war heroes. You see, it was honorable. So, it was on. It was, it was, it was honorable. Dis, so, it was dishonorable to find a way out. It wasn't considered clever or smart. It was dishonorable. Exactly. So your rank and 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 I studied a lot of the mafia and the anti-fragiles by saying, you know, what what kind of behavior? Uh, people, you take risks for the sake of others. That's it. You don't. Uh, you're not a risk lover, but uh, you. If someone got to take the risk, you're the one who takes it. And that's sort of like uh, the idea was not to die with, uh, in a nursing home with tubes coming out of your nose. The idea is to die in battle. Okay, that's 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 what you're you're made uh, to do. Okay, and that was and so uh, prominence came um, 
with that kind of uh, lord, you know, of the lord uh, concept. So, and that I think was prevailing on society. Up to, but today, um, when, when you know the gentleman who's the head of the CIA, but was was a big military person, when he was uh, busted, uh, was named Petraeus. I thought. I mean, I looked at his Wikipedia page, and there were all these decorations, hundreds and hundreds of decorations. I saw that the fellow jumped from helicopters at night, uh, climbed walls, uh, the things through grenades from you know through you know through uh, uh, small windows and stuff. No, it turned out that the fellow had never been in battle. See, he had never been in battle. So here we have a generation of people who have never had to take risk for the sake of others. And society cannot function when you have an imbalance between what I call the first column is people who make others take risk for them, and then you have the right column, people who take risk for the sake of others. You see, and this is, you, can't, you can't function that way. You cannot. You cannot have too many of the uh, Petraeus and George W. Bush who have never taken personal risk but engaged others in, in war. You can't have too many of these. We need the reverse. And, and we had plenty of these a generation earlier. I wonder why that changed. Technology. <laughs> the problem is technology, is modernity, is, is, is causing disruptions in the entire system. I don't know. I think part of it is how wealthy we are. And staying alive is definitely a uh, what we call in economics a normal good, meaning we want more of it as we get wealthier. So I think we value our lives and our health a little higher than we used to, and so our willingness to sacrifice it is a lot harder. We're not so I, I, think, I, I don't think – I think it's just pro probably the culture because, but because the, 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 the change was, is very recent. It just took place very abruptly. Right, but why did that culture change? Uh, I mean, we good. can't look for explanation. The, the thing that you have to look at the world in which we live today, all right, is highly technological. Uh, it is uh, probably, uh, you know, it's highly technological. We still, we have dangers, but not the same kind we had before. And, uh, and modernity, uh, you know, put the bureaucrat in place of risk taker. Now, risk taking isn't just physical. Risk taking is entrepreneurship. So instead of worshiping entrepreneurs who take risk really for the sake of others because the probability of success is much lower than, uh, you know, than that of, say, a venture capitalist. So they take risk for society, and, and they fail a lot, but collectively we need them because otherwise we can't advance. Uh, instead of uh, you know, having all these people uh, you know, glorified and put on a pedestal, who do you put on a pedestal? Harvard grads. That's, that's not how society can uh, evolve. Because it's not the Harvard grads who got us. Did you say Harvard we grads? Are. Is that what you said, Nassim? I, I use Harvard uh, graduates, right? Okay. I, I use the, the metaphor of saying so, so, that, that uh, England was built, England was built, and America were built by adventurers um, in, in the economic sense, what Adam Smith called adventurers, not by bureaucrats. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and then after on, the benefits are reaped by the class of bureaucrats who come and try to uh, uh, control the process. Your remark about entrepreneurs reminds me of when Amazon started and they were losing money every year. And I remember being so grateful to the people who had invested in them because they probably – at the time, most people thought they weren't going to make it. But I was building a beautiful library of inexpensive books that arrived on my door very quickly and had a wonderful way to look shop for them. And they were bearing all the costs and I was getting all the gains. 
Well, I mean, we, we look at restaurants. Restaurants, uh, you know, to, to open restaurants is uh, like uh, in New York City is an act of suicide. You see, you know, so but, but yet without these people, we wouldn't be where we are. So what I'm saying is that we we're we're not, we're not we no longer are giving the respect due to these uh, people who take risk for the sake of others, whether in the military domain or in the economic domain, or in other domains as well. Let's, let's. In the political domain, I mean, people have the courage to voice their opinion. Uh, but, but, but we can uh, protect ourselves, just like the ancient, by finding very simple heuristics. Like Ralph Nader had a heuristic for war. He said, if you're going to vote you know, for war, you should have a member of your family, a descendant, a son or grandson, on the draft. And then you can vote for war. And in a way, it's liberating for, on both sides. When I manage money... And, and uh, you, know, you know, of course, I lose money uh, very frequently. I lose every battle, but ended up winning wars. But, but uh, so you lose money every day, and, and the clients would call you. You pick up the phone. You're not even, uh, you're not uncomfortable because I've lost uh, 10 times uh, more, at least 10 times, up to 50 times more, the share of my net worth that day than he did from the loss. So I, I wouldn't have to. So it's liberating on both sides. As you don't feel guilt if you have skin in the game. If you are sharing the losses, you don't have any guilt. It's when you don't have that that people start having these conflicts. Right. So the the investor sleeps well at night, knowing that the manager is is sleeping uh, with the same portfolio as as he is, and and you don't have the guilt. So it's good. Exactly. And then and, and the manager doesn't have the guilt uh, because he has fifty times the, the relative exposure. So you have half your net worth in your fund. That, that's that's the rule of thumb today. Half your net worth in a fund, and these people are very diversified across funds. I mean the, the clients. So I want to get to a paper you wrote with Philip Tetlock on prediction because I think it's full of some insights and they tie back into these ideas that we've been talking about. Uh, you suggested we talk about this as well. So in that paper, you talk about a distinction between binary variables and vanilla events, binary events and vanilla events. Explain what the difference is. Okay. If I uh, tell you uh, that the stock market is going up, or stock market is going down, and, and uh, tomorrow I'd be right or wrong. That's a binary event. Uh, there'll be war or there won't be war. It's a binary event. It's uh, it's uh, so most predictions are uh, binary in the sense binary. It can take a value of zero or one, or, or you know, so, so it cannot can be event can happen or not happen. In in, in real life, we have a third dimension: the depths of the event. So, for example, you can predict the market is going to go down, but it can go down 20% or a tenth of a percent, you see? And re the problem is that uh, people who forecast are judged on how frequently they're right, when in fact, how frequently you're right doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the cumulative that matters, you see? So there's that dimension that makes a huge difference, and of course, there are a lot of pathologies. In fooled by randomness, I, I already identified the problem because uh, one day I was asked by someone, hey, what do you think the market is going up or down? Uh, I told him, of course it's going to go up. They say, well, with high probability. And then the person saw my trading account and realized that I was exposed to the market going down big time. You were betting <laughs> on the he, you were, when you say exposed. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, my exposure, my, what I call exposure as, uh, you know, there's, it's not a bet in the sense that the bets are binary, so people may mistake them for, some, for binary proposition. My exposure, in other words, I had options that paid off big times, so the market went down. So he said, what's going on here? I said, yeah, but you told me the market was going up. I said, yeah, I think 
the probability of the market going up is very high. But should it go down, it should go down a lot. You see, we're not, in the wor- real world uh, is about expectation, not probability. In other words, probability times how much it goes down, you see. It's so the right. rational thing is to be short the market, but it's more likely to go up. Because if it goes up, it goes up small. If it goes down, it'll go down big. Uh, he 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 was he was involved in trading. He said, "Oh, you're right, but I didn't think about it this way. Well, you'd better think about it this way because <laughs> that's how the world works." So when when when, for example, uh, uh, people when we're talking about uh, the first war, some people predicted that the first war would happen, but they imagined it would last two weeks. The you first see? world war, World War One. The first world war, exactly. So so when this event in the fat tail domain, an event is not defined. So, so you can't say up or down. You have to say how much up and how much down. It's very, so, it's very deep because I mean I think I had the same thought about the Civil War. The Civil War I think people thought was going to last two weeks. They knew a war was probably going to happen. If they had had a little bit of imagination and thought about the possibility it would last five years and kill millions of people, they m- might have had some second thoughts. Exactly. So what, what, what happened is that an event, a war can kill five people or can kill five billion people. So in, in fat-tailed domains, all right, the probability matters much less than a payoff, if it matters. Uh, which is why we, we – so, so when we talk about prediction markets, people think that prediction markets hedge you. They don't hedge you. A prediction market is a binary, and, uh, and an exposure is open-ended. And life is open-ended. And life is open-ended. So, so natural variables are what I call vanilla. And I wrote a book on the, on the mathematical difference 20 years ago. Okay, it published 18 years ago called Dynamic Hedging uh, of Vanilla <laughs> and Exotic Options. And I used the word vanilla at the time because I was a trader. That was my language. I was not a scientist yet. So, or I was not involved in uh, active science. So I, when I wrote that paper with, with Phil, uh, Phil is involved in prediction. And I said, well, you know, if, if the guy can have a perfect track record, it doesn't mean anything if, if the payoff is small. In, in a binary space, uh, things are very different from the, where they are in a natural or vanilla space. So, and we call, of course, uh, that natural variable vanilla. And uh, and uh, it, it did effectively change. This paper was great because we sent it to an agency that's involved in forecasting, and immediately they realized, hey, you know what? Our forecasting is uh, not uh, done properly. You see, we should not ask people if this event will happen. We should uh, have buckets. What's the, what's the probability of having an earthquake of three uh, on the Richter scale or four on the Richter scale or one? You see, you should, you should, you should uh, have uh, different buckets for different sizes of exposure or sizes of, uh, of, of the event. Yeah, obviously, um, it's like you say, if the odds of an earthquake tomorrow, I'm right now in the Bay Area, I'm, live, I'm, in, I'm on the campus of Stanford, so the odds of an earthquake tomorrow are zero. Close to zero. Very unlikely, right? It's very unlikely. So I can – let's make a prediction. I'm going to predict no, no earthquake. If there is an earthquake, what really matters is whether it's a little murmur or whether it's giant. That's what matters. Exactly. Exactly. So, so like when you, when, you, when you look at economic variables, uh, uh, they're fat-tailed, meaning the probability doesn't matter much. It's, it's the event associated with, with the probability that matters more. So you can have a very small probability of a large event. Now, now uh, uh, there are some pathologies. People didn't understand it when they created prediction markets. I was then opposed to the idea of prediction markets. People didn't understand me. So I went to Phil and said, listen, let's write this paper so we can, we can have a, a grounds to discuss 
you know, a prediction, uh, you know, and, and, and separate predictions between binary and vanilla prediction or binary and na or natural ecological, I call it also prediction. So when it comes back to skin in the game, if you have skin in the game, it's never binary, you see. Because what matters you, is the amount. What matters is the amount. If you're based, if you don't have skin in the game, you're going to gain the reputation uh, system, and so the reputation system is based on binaries, and perception of others is more binary. Well, you can so, so this is where this is where where where, where uh, uh, you know uh, the, the, we connect the two papers. I guess you could turn skin in the game into binary by with execution in some sense, right? You, I mean, the the reason that 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 it doesn't work very well is that without skin in the game is that if you say, well, if 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 you lose money, I'm going to slap you on the wrist, and if you win, make money, I'm going to give you an ice cream cone. That's not a very good system <laughs> because it doesn't. No, that's not exactly because if you're, you then you make five thousand ice cream cones, you can set up an if you buy an option that has very 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 small probability of being under money, you see. Then, then you slap on the wrist once. You see? Yeah. It reminds me of your incident where the event happens, it kills all the people who ever took that uh, yeah. roller coaster. You see? So, it's, so this is where uh, we have to be very careful when we deal with fat tails. That the probability in, in the fat tail domain, if I fatten the tails of a distribution, the probability of a given event drops. You see, but then the magnitude of the event increases. So, so I've been very, very annoyed at the interpretation of black swans. People thought that I was saying that black swans are more frequent. My point, no, they're not more frequent, they're less frequent. But when they happen, they're deeper. So they have a lower probability than you think, but a deeper effect, which, which is what makes them vicious. But a, a, a dangerous, evil, crazy man with a pistol can do some damage. A dangerous, crazy, evil man with a nuclear bomb is not just dangerous. <laughs> exactly. No, well, I mean, it's hard. exactly. The, 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 the problem is that the, the, the nuclear bomb, uh, the, you know, uh, story, you don't have enough of a record to figure out uh, what's the probability of having such a fellow, and you never have, it, you never have an idea about the danger until it's too late. <laughs> I want to, That's a problem. Yes, but, but, but let me tell you why it's important to talk about binary and and in the context of, of skin in the game because people who talk without harm, who talk about events without harm, with impunity, write papers and with this, people who are not active, don't really understand the real texture of the reality. When you have skin in the game, you're you're much more, uh, in a way, scientific about things. <laughs> you see, you're much more rigorous about things. You're much more rigorous about risk. And there's a class of people who um, are trying to. Uh, promote the idea that uh, people that uh, small probabilities are overpriced by the system, and uh, they 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 find experiments that in fact are binary or by nature or very very well is bounded, and say well people tend to overpay uh, overpay for lottery tickets or overpay for these artificial setups. They're overly cautious about events that are unlikely. People are cautious. If people, if that pathology doesn't extend to options, financial options, for example. People don't understand the following: is that if you have a, uh, um, you know, an option, uh, and there is a uh, stock market crash, as the one we had in 1987, and the option can 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 cover uh, 30, 40, 50, 100 years of PNL. In some cases, 300 years of PNL. You see. Because the, the, it's a very small, tiny payoff. So true, uh, you know, we may uh, not have an idea of the prob that probability, 
but we definitely shouldn't make statements about things that have a very, 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 very strong payoff like that. You see, and, and people naturally in natural setting tend to be careful about it. We overpay for insurance. We overpay for lottery tickets. So there's something called the long shot bias. And people think it's a pathology where I think that it's only a pathology in things that are modern. You see, and, 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 and it, 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 that pathology doesn't extend to vanilla variables. Let me, let me see if I understand what you're saying. I think you're saying that in a, a lot of laboratory experiments that psychologists and some economists do, people overestimate the probability of very unlikely events. They over exactly. – they so-called overreact. So they'll exactly. – they worry a lot about a plane crashing and, and in fact the odds of a plane's very safe compared to a car. But they overreact. Yeah. But exactly. what you're really We're, saying is that they don't overreact because the costs of a plane crash are very bad. No, 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 no. For plane crash, maybe you may overreact yeah, for but, a plane but I mean, crash. The, it's not yeah. a big deal. The point is that you cannot generalize from an experiment that is not natural to natural settings and we identified exactly what the mistake people make because you're making a statement derived from a variable that has a bounded payoff and generalizing to things that have open-ended payoff. Yeah, I, my example, See, the airplane's a bad same, example. Yeah, I, it's I, a bad I example. And let me tell you, say people overplay for, for, you know, people overpay for lottery tickets, for example, which is true. They overpay for lottery tickets. Meaning the expected they, value is negative. Exactly. Uh, hence, uh, hence, uh, if pe people overpay uh, for financial options, okay. Hence, let's sell uh, remote probabilities in finance. Well, anybody who has a brain would realize that banks are engaged in the business of selling small probabilities in finance, and they lost five trillion dollars in two thousand eight, which means it's more money than they ever made in the history of banking. So, therefore, that that statement that people <laughs> overpay for protection and finance is false. Yeah, when you said the number five trillion for a minute, I thought you just meant a lot of money, like a zillion, but it actually is close to five trillion, right? Five trillion, <laughs> yeah. Five trillion is, is uh, I mean, that's why they lost before governments bailed them out, but five trillion dollars is a lot of money. So, so what I'm saying is that instead of doing experiments, just look at the variables themselves. You see, insurance companies haven't really made money Till recently, you see, and then all it takes is sometimes one event um, to, uh, to to and, and insurance companies aren't involved in very complex detailed things typically, except for insurance. So you look at the data: banks bets on small probability events by financial firms have proven disastrous in history, and wealth came from bets on open-ended uh, remote probability events, namely entrepreneurship. So I want to – that's beautiful. I, I want to close with a, one last topic. Um, we're going over time here, but I just wanted something that I thought about when I was reading your paper, which is parenting. It seems to me that when our children are younger, we don't want them to have skin in the game. Literally, we don't let them get near the stove that's hot because they'll burn their hand. And as they get older, good parenting, it seems to me, is which is hard to do means letting our children have their own skin in the game rather than the skin of the parent. I think that's right? I think uh, that's right. I think that uh, traditional parenting has some merits in the sense that uh, you protect, they say, there's an expression in Lebanon that the first seven years you play with them, the second seven years you let them get in trouble. 
and the third seven years, you advise them on how he got in trouble. You what? What's the last one? What's you the advise them on how he got in trouble. Oh, you explain it to them. Yeah. You explain <laughs> it to them, yeah, exactly. And then they're 21. <laughs> you see, that's, that's the Lebanese expression. The first seven years, you protect them, you see, because they're fragile. The second seven years are sort of anti-fragile, so you need to get in trouble because they'll never learn unless they have skin in the game. Now, now, now uh, um, but before finishing, I'd like to talk about something. We've been talking about skin in the game, which is quite, uh, you know, uh, 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 relevant here, and it's to talk about academia because we're both academics. Sort now, of. you cannot, yeah, yeah <laughs> sorry, but we're, both, I mean, we're, we're academics, but so. The only way you can reform economics is by installing some kind of uh, skin in the game mechanism. Because it looks like now been, the system on its own allows them to be wrong with total immunity. Agreed. But doesn't that come back to the problem we talked about in the first few minutes about the chair of the Fed? Uh, if you're, you're an economist, one group of economists says – in 2008, we need to spend $2 trillion uh, by the government, and it doesn't matter what we spend it on. The other group says, no, we should spend zero. Then we let the, we spent about a trillion. We spent $800 billion roughly, and things didn't come out so well. But it's very possible that's not proof that they were wrong, the people who said spend a lot of money. It could be a thousand reasons, and um, – I think we just have to accept the fact that economists are can't have skin in the game, and therefore we should discount what they what they say. Exactly. The point is, we need uh, we need to lower the dependence on people who don't have skin in the game. Yeah, or ignore them. That's the problem. Sorry. Or ignore them. But you cannot ignore them. Well, you have to build a system because the people can take over the prestige. There are a lot of things, a lot of pathologies we can't control that way. The best way to do it is build a society in which mistakes made by economists stay on campus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the idea. The idea is if Larry Summers wants to make mistakes, more mistakes, all right, let him make them at Harvard where we're insulated from it. Okay, so that's why I call the ivory tower, not because they're, you know, it's because we're protected from them, not because they're, 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 they're protecting themselves from us. Okay. We should work the other, both ways, you see. I, they don't want the real slogan. world. We don't. Sorry. It's a great slogan. What happens on campus stays on campus. That's exactly it. So it should keep it, keep it, keep the mistakes local on campus, and that way, you know, we're, we're, everybody will be happy. My guest today has been Nassim Taleb. Nassim, thanks for being part of Econ Talk. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me again. This is Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more Econ Talk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for Econ Talk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.